one of the landmarks of being a Christian is change. You know, when God comes to live in somebody, you can't help but change. And for some people, the change is very slow and gradual and they don't even really even aren't aware that something's going on, but just over time, they notice something has changed. For others and myself, change was instantaneous and dramatic. My life was turned upside down. I knew something had happened. My life was characterized my former manner of life. I was a person who didn't just drink a beer. I drank, uh, you know, a half a case at a time of beer. I was a drug pusher. I was a person who every sentence had a four-letter word as an adjective to describe what I was saying. And I was a person that lived for myself, used anybody and anything that came around me to see what I can get from them. And when Jesus came in my life, my life was turned upside down. And I didn't even try. It wasn't even that somebody said, Pat, you shouldn't live that way anymore. Just God did something so deep in me that in 48 years, I haven't had one bottle of beer, one shot of whiskey, fill in the blank. You know, I haven't taken an illegal drug in 48 years. I have to admit, I swore one time in 48 years. I was very frustrated and it felt so dirty when it came out, I just couldn't do it again. And by God's grace, I live now to bless others rather than to see what I can get from others. God did something in me so deep that I had no idea what went on, but now I do. And we find out in Ephesians 4 exactly what happened, not only to me, but to you. Whether your change is instantaneous and dramatic or whether it's slow and gradual, we learn in Ephesians 4 what happened deep inside of us that has changed us. As you turn to Ephesians 4 last week, we started this section. We learned that as believers, he's telling the believers in the church in Ephesians, stop living like the Gentiles. And this week, we're going to hear a second reason why we shouldn't live like the Gentiles as we look at Ephesians 4. This whole section is, it really teaches us this. We learned this last week. That he says the first reason we shouldn't live like the Gentiles is because their living comes from the futility of their mind. Their thinking drives their actions. By the way, our thinking drives our actions as believers too. But the big contrast we're going to see today is this. You see, the thinking of those who don't know Jesus excludes God and excludes his word. And he says, therefore, don't live like them because that's what their minds are. The, the thoughts that come to them are excluded from God and excluded from his word. But we as believers, truth drives our actions and our activities in our life as well. But the truth, but in our mind, we have the truth that Jesus taught us, the truth of the word of God. You know, I, I, was, I was looking at, with Kim last night on a, at a website. Uh, somebody who I knew and respected used to walk with Jesus. They're well known. They, they haven't. And I, I want to see where they were at today. And it was interesting as it talked about, and this is a Christian uh, website, how this person had discovered their truth 
And this particular ministry is there to help people find your truth. Well, here's the reality. That's where the world lives. We are people who are driven by the truth, the truth that comes from Jesus and from his word. So there's some believers that are much like the world are looking for their personal truth and finding themselves in light of their truth when we find our lives in light of this truth. And that's what we're gonna find in Ephesians 4 today, that our lifestyle is driven by what we learn from Jesus. The structure of this passage is very simple. It starts off, again, in verse 17, goes to the end of the chapter in verse 32, it's talking about our lifestyle. We find in verse 22 to 32, that our lifestyle is driven by what we learn from Jesus. And then we find in this section today what we learn from Jesus. And then I love down in verses 22 through 24, we learn about what we learn from Jesus. But then following that, he says, therefore, here's the so what's. He tells us how we live in light of all these things that we've learned from Jesus. And when you put it together, let let me say it this way. I'm gonna tell you right up front what we learn from Jesus. What he says in this passage is we learn that our old man, our old self has been laid aside and that a new man has been put on. That's the truth we're gonna learn. And let me state it to you, the whole, the, what this passage is trying to say in a negative fashion, then in a positive fashion, then try to put it together as one very simply. Negatively, he says this, lay aside your old lifestyle because you've laid aside your old self. Positively, is saying this, put on your new lifestyle because you've put on a new self. So when you summarize all this very simply, he's saying this, live consistent with who you are. Our outward actions, activities, behavior, our walk, our thinking should all be driven by who we really are. And as people that have put off the old man, we should also put off that way of living. And as people that have put on the new man, we should also put off that former manner of life and put on the new life that we learn in Jesus. Now watch for this as I read verses 20 to 32. Let me tell you right up front, today I'm gonna deal with what we learn from Jesus. I'm excited about next week, do everything you can not to be here. We're gonna talk about anger. And we're going to hear some things about anger you probably normally don't hear in the counselor's office, but from God's word. And it has proven to be very powerful to bring deliverance, not only in my life and others. And next week, we're going to hear the testimony of somebody where God has delivered them from anger in light of the truth of this passage. And so uh, don't miss it. So today, we're going to, what do we learn about Jesus? Then we're going to look at anger next week. Then we're going to look at our words about how our words are to be as we put on the new man and not like the old way. And then finally, we're going to talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. So watch for all this as I read here, starting in verse 20 of Ephesians 4. 
But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created. Listen to this. This is what your new self has been created in. In righteousness and holiness of the truth. I guess I'm going to say it now. I plan on saying it later. You are not a sinner saved by grace. But you're a brand new creature transformed by grace. And there's a big difference between the two. And you need to understand who you are at the core of your being. According to this verse, the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's who you are. Therefore, now here comes the application to all this. Now that we know who we really are, therefore, lay us, laying aside falsehood, it's laying aside the old way, the old manner of life, falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals, that's the old manner of life, must steal no longer. Here's the new manner, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Here's the old way. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Here's the new way, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And if you didn't hear that right, that's a tall order. Don't just forgive one another. Forgive one another just as God has forgiven you in Christ. This is an amazing passage with amazing truth in it. And what do we learn from Jesus that should be driving the way we live? Now again, note in verse 22 that in reference to your former manner of life, again, he's talking about, he's referring to the way we used to live before we knew Jesus. And what we learned is that we laid aside the old self and we put on the new self. Let me show you that in the text. That in reference to your former manner of life, I'm in verse 2 to 22, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Then look at verse 24. Put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness 
of the truth. Now, some of you probably very perceptively picked up as I read that, Pat, you make it sound like it was something that was already done. This sounds like a command to me. Lay aside the old self. Put on the new self. And you're very perceptive as you pick that up because which is it? Is it a command that we do that? Or is it a statement of a fact of something that has already happened? And the importance of this, the difference between the way you interpret this is on whether or not it's something that we need to do or is it something that Jesus already did? Is it something that I need to strive harder to do or is it something that I need to praise Jesus more for because he's already done it? You see, this is very important. We say truth is important. Well, guess what? The truth of this passage is all the difference from me working harder or praising more. And so we need to get to the bottom of this and saying, which does it say? Because truth really does drive the way we live. And this morning, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I, I think many of you will be very good with this. But you're going to feel a little bit like you're in a Moody Bible Institute classroom this morning more than a sermon. Because we're going to have to take a little bit of a a deeper dive into this to understand just what is going on in this text. It'll be worth it. Because by the end of the morning, you're going to better understand the truth. And the better we understand the truth, the greater, freer, more God-glorifying life we can live. So you with me? That's what we're going to do this morning. So uh, might feel a little bit more like a classroom than normal, but I, I know you guys will be good with it. Now, what I'm, I believe, tell you right up front, obviously you know that, I believe this is a fact that's already accomplished and that the text really is telling us about something that's already happened. My old self has already been put off, therefore put off my old way of living, My new self has already been put on, therefore put on a new way of living. And, you know, I'm not alone in the way I interpret this, by the way. Um, John MacArthur, a tremendous section, a lot of good information, agrees and interprets it exactly as I'm going to be interpreting it. Lewis Berry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Seminary, interprets this passage this way. Charles Moll, a Greek scholar, interprets it this way. Uh, David Needham, the author of the book Birthright, so you don't think, man, is Pat the only person in the world that thinks this? No, I'm not. So let's start with this. The words put or lay aside and put on are what you call aorist infinitives. Bear with me just a second. An aorist, I think you know, that's something that happened in the past. So we're talking about that now an infinitive is different than an imperative. An imperative is a straight out command, an exhortation to do something. It's right there in the Greek, you understand it. This is a command, it's an imperative, this is what he's telling us to do. But an infinitive 
is something that can be interpreted one of two ways here. It's either the result of what's happened or it could be a command. And that's why some people interpret it as a command and others as a result. And I'm gonna go a little bit further and tell you, well, here's something I'm gonna tell you about Greek for those who don't know. Talking to a good brother of mine that took it recently and he said, yeah, I get it now. Greek, a lot of people think if I just knew Greek, I'd have all the answers. No, Greek raises more questions often than things it answers. I think what it does is it helps narrow the field so we can better have a, a better feel of, you know, like a dictionary, you've got four or five different possible meanings for a word. Now, now I know what that field is, but you need more than just the field of opportunities of what the word could be. So this word could be used as a command or it could be used as a result. And the only way you can tell, and the two things I'm gonna use this morning, is the larger context. That's what you do with a dictionary in a word, isn't it? Well, what does the context say? And so that gives me some clues as to whether it's a command or whether it's a result. And then not only do I look at the context, but I gotta say, what is, how does it harmonize with the rest of scripture? Are there other teachings about our old self and our old man and our new self and our old man with scripture that we can look at that can help us understand? So that's what I'm gonna do this morning. And I think when you do that with me, you'll see this is a, this is a result and not a command. Consider with me in verse 22. He's talking about what we learned in Jesus, something in the past. And then in verse 22 and 24, he tells us what that learned is. But I want you to note afterwards in verse 25, we just read a number of these. Therefore, so he tells us in 20 and 21, there's something that we learned in Christ about the way we're supposed to live. And this has to do, we find out in 22 and 24 with our former manner in life in regards to our old self and our new self. Then in verse 25 says, therefore, here comes the conclusion. Laying aside, well, guess what he does? In this section, I didn't count up how many, but there, there has to be, starting in verse 25 to 32, at least eight or nine imperatives. Those are the commands. So the command isn't given in 22 to 24. The command is given and started in verse 25 and following as the so what's, the practical implications, the logical conclusions that we get from the therefore at the start of verse 25. And so it perfectly lays out the fact in verse 22 through 24 that the old self was laid aside and that the uh, new self has been put on Therefore, verse 25, laying aside falsehood. You see, the structure of the passage, the context of the passage reinforces the fact that the imperatives start later, not here. The imperatives, the commands are the result, or I'm sorry, are the, are the practical implications that come out of what we learned in 22 through 24. Now, what about the harmony of scripture? Let, let, is there more? You know, when we look at what other passages say in scripture about this, I think it, it seals the deal that what we're talking about here is a result of something that's already happened. Colossians 3, 8 through 10, I have it up here. 
but now you also put them all aside. Use anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created. Totally consistent with what we're saying in Ephesians 4. Lay aside that old self because, or lay, lay aside that old way of living because you've already laid aside your old self. And that you already have put on a new self. So we start to see as we look out in scripture, Colossians 3.8 is saying, this is a result of what has already happened. But turn to Romans 6 with me. This, uh, this again, further clarifies it as another passage that will help us see exactly what's going on here. In Romans 6, we're going to see that our old self was crucified. Remember Galatians 2.20? For I have been crucified with Christ. Past tense, it's already done. I died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Again, another passage we could have looked at. I was crucified when Christ was crucified. And that's what Romans 6 is going to teach us. And as we take a look at this passage in Romans 6... Uh, let me start here in verse 6. It says this. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Past tense. Already done. My old self died when Christ died. I was included in the death of Jesus, and so were you as a believer. Why? In order that our body of sin might be done away with. Now, what, what is the body of sin? We see in Romans chapter 6, he deals with the body of sin, He's talking about the body is the place where sin dwells and is active. It's interesting because in Romans 7, he talks about the body of death. Because in chapter 6, he's dealing with the issue of shall we continue in sin that grace might increase. So he's talking about this whole thing of sin. In, ver in chapter 7, he's talking about doing God's will. And he says, you know, then what I want to do, I can't do. And I, you know, I don't do what I don't want to do, all that kind of stuff. And what we see is that Derry talks about the body of death. I'm going to come back to that in a couple of minutes. But what he's saying here is that our body of sin, our body, that place where sin dwells, would be rendered powerless. And why is that? Because the old self, and I'm, I'm going to come back in the picture in a minute and show it to you. My old self, according to Romans 5, was a sinner. So what does a sinner do? A sinner walks in conjunction with the body where sin dwells and loves and feeds off of what the body, the place where sin dwells, tells us to do. But now, guess what? I find out that that old person, the sinner, died when Jesus died. 
And I've been made a new man, a new self, according to Ephesians chapter 4, who was created in the likeness of God in the holiness and the righteousness of the truth. And so now, guess what? The old man died, and I now have a new man so that this body is rendered powerless because now when this body shoots its dictates towards me, says, do this, Pat, and think this way and have this attitude and do it like the way you used to do it, my new man doesn't relate to that. My new man doesn't connect with that. My new man doesn't want to go there. Now it's powerless because I'm no longer a sinner and a slave to sin, but I'm a brand new creature in Christ who's a saint at the core of my being who wants to do what God wants me to do. And so this is the battle that we feel and we struggle. And knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that this body where sin operates might be done away with, that means to be rendered powerless. Why? So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves. Why are we not slaves to sin? For he who has died is freed from sin. Guys, this is amazing truth. You're not a sinner, a dirty, rotten sinner, just saved by grace. You're, that, that, that guy died when Jesus died. That's who I used to be. <laughs> That guy died. I'm a brand new creature in Christ. At the core of my being, holy and righteous, created in the likeness of God according to his truth. Now, when did I die? And I'm going to put up this chart. I kind of said some of this stuff. But I've I, I got to answer. You, you might say, well, when did I die? It doesn't feel like I died. And uh, let me just say some things. We're three-part people, body, soul, and spirit. First Thessalonians, Lord, sanctify our body, our soul, and our spirit. And so as three-part people, our body is the place that we relate to the environment we live in. Our soul is the place where our mind and our will and our emotions are. That's how we relate as unique personalities with one another. Our spirit is that part of us that relates to God. Now, let me build on this a little bit more. And let me say this at this point. It's at the level of your spirit that you died. And that's why we don't feel it. It's that part of us that relates to God that is spirit. That if we took a picture of this and we uh, took change from the spirit and the center with God, I'd say spirit and dead. Because before I knew Jesus, my spirit was not only dead, but my spirit was a sinner a slave to sin. And now if you go back out to the body, what do we learn? The body is where the body of sin and the body of death. The body of sin is the place, the body is the place where uh, sin dwells and operates and works out of. Romans 7 also calls it the flesh. But the body of death means this. Because in Romans 7, you know, he's talking about doing God's will and he's not able to do it, this body of death. Death means I have no power. I'm impotent. I have nothing to give. I'm just like a person who's in the grave can't partake and do what it takes, you know, to enter into this life. Well, my body of death says, I don't have the power to do God's will in myself. 
And so on one hand, the body of sin says, this is where sin operates and dwells. The body of death says, I don't have the ability in myself to overcome this problem. But the spirit who is now created in righteousness and the holiness of the truth, who's been made one with the spirit of God is greater than sin and greater than death. You see, that's what Romans 8 teaches us. Because Romans 8 teaches us that the law of sin and death, the principle that happens over and over again, just like the law of gravity, it happens every time. Every time comes, my body responds with sin. You know, my flesh, it wants to act this way. And my flesh is the body of death. The law of death means that every time I come to it, I don't have the power. It isn't that next time if I work harder, I'm gonna have the power. But with the law of the body of sin and death that I don't have the power. So here I am. But guess what he says in the next verse? But the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. It's the spirit of Jesus living in me that has, that has greater power than sin and has the ability to give me what I need to live for Jesus. That's why we got to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh because the flesh doesn't have the ability to overcome sin or the ability to do what God wants us to do. So guys, guess what? The soul, haven't talked much about that yet. What does 1 Peter say? The lust of the flesh wage war against my soul. Guys, the battle's for our soul. Satan wants to get control of our soul. He wants to get control of our mind. He wants to get control of our emotions. He wants to get in control of our will. And so what we have is the body and Satan and the world working against us to seek to um, get our mind to submit to them, our will to go their way and our emotions to be under their control. But the good news is, is I have one living in me, greater is he who is in me than he that's in the world. And I got one who's in me that produces the life that I can never produce to live the way that God wants me to live. And I got one who's living in me that's a greater law than sin. And sin, as I sit back and I rest in the spirit who lives in me, that he is going to take and break down this sin and to fill me with the resurrected life of Jesus. And so, Guys, this is the battle in our life. This is the way I say it many times. Our struggle is that we are saved people living in an unsaved body. <laughs> That's why we struggle the way we do. Because in my core of my being, he says in Romans 7, you know, I really want to do God's will, but I find another principle operating in my flesh that wants me to go a whole different way. And brothers and sisters, we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit in a few weeks. Um, whatever a few weeks may be means about five, by the way. Usually a few means two, doesn't it? But probably in about five weeks we're going to be talking about that. But guys, the name of the game when it comes to living for Jesus is walking in the Spirit. Depending upon the one who lives in me to do things in and through me that I can never do for myself. It's a shift of dependence. You've heard me say this before. The Christian life is lived the same way we come to Christ. How do I get saved? 
Well, I transfer my trust from myself and anything I can do to the cross of Jesus and what he did for me and to the resurrection and the new life that he gives me. And so that's when I'm born again at the core of my being and my spirit where my spirit becomes one with Christ. Now he's dwelling in me and he's made me a brand new man. And so what happens is, is when I put my, when I transfer my trust from myself and what I can do to him and what he did, then I find salvation and forgiveness. Well, now guess what, guys? It's the same life. I transfer my trust as a believer from what I can do to get better for God. That's what many of us end up doing. Little more Bible study, little more prayer, little more ministry, a little more trying, a little more commitment. And we think that somehow that's all the stuff that comes from our flesh, that somehow that's gonna do it. And when I transfer my trust from all that stuff to now the spirit of Jesus who lives in my heart. The first one said, I'm gonna trust Jesus in the past and what he did on the cross. This one says, I'm gonna trust Jesus right now living in my heart, what he's gonna do for me right now as he works in me to sanctify me and cause there to be less and less and less of Pat in control and more and more and more of Jesus in control. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so what he's doing is he's breaking down what the body is seeking to do. He's taking my mind and my will and my emotions that have been affected by sin and he's cleaning it up and transforming me and making me more like Jesus. So I think more like Jesus. I choose more like Jesus. I feel more like Jesus. This is who we are. This is the way we're to walk, to live consistent with who we are. You know, let me, let me say this. Um, let me read this real quick. It, turn to Romans. I didn't give you a chance. You just saw these. I, think, I hope you're there. Went a little bit off notes, but that's okay. <sighs> I'm out of breath, man. Some of you guys got to run a mile before I had a breath. All I got to do is talk for 10 minutes and I'm out of breath. Lord help me, right? Listen to Romans because remember our whole point here is is It's inconsistent to live in sin because that's not who we are. At the core of my being, I'm a saint and I need to live consistent with who I am. What shall we say then, he says in Rome, are we to continue in sin so that grace may get the same question? Do I keep on living in that old sinful way? May it never be how shall we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying, hey guys, that's your former manner of life. You died. That's inconsistent with who you are. Or do you not know? And let me, let me tell you the word baptize, what the word baptize means. It means to place into. It means uh, kind of like grafting together. Like you, you take a piece of skin and you graft it with the other skin and it now becomes a part and they're joined, joined together. <laughs> So it's being placed into, it's being grafted into, it's being joined together. That's what baptized means. So now, do you not know that all of us who have been grafted into, placed into, joined into Christ Jesus have been grafted into, placed into, 
joined together into his death? We have been included in Jesus' death. We've been grafted into it. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Guess what? I've been in his, I, I, I was in his death. I was in his burial. I went to the grave with him, that old self. Therefore, it keeps getting better then. Therefore, we have been unite, uh, buried with him through baptism and death. I guess I already read that. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with, grafted into, placed in, joined together with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Brothers and sisters, we were included in Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. The old man died when Jesus died. That's not who you are. That old man was a sinner who loved the sin and was a slave to sin. You're a brand new creature who's been joined together with Christ who loves to do the will of God and now is joined together with his resurrection because the very one that rose Jesus from dead, the spirit of God now lives in you and now his resurrection power, guess what? Overpowers the deadness of my body. See, my body can't pull it off the body of death. But guess what? The resurrecting power of Jesus within me can put to death and dismantle and destroy the works of the flesh, the works of the devil, and fill me with the resurrected life of Jesus.